Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. You may already know this, you probably do, but we are at one year now of COVID implications in one way or another. And um, no applause for that. So uh, I assume you feel the same way I do about it. It's been quite the journey, hasn't it? Um, not just as a church body and, and different forms and fashions of meeting, but as a, um, not only just a nation, but around the globe, as we've seen a number of people grow ill and some pass away, and we've seen economic turmoil and all sorts of political implications. And I, I just want to, I think, mark the time to say, let's also zoom back to remind ourselves God's been faithful. Amen? And I think as we meet outside today and it's a little bit chilly or a little bit more chilly than we would choose, let's also remember that there are believers all around the globe that have quite literally never had an indoor church gathering, right? So we're, we enter into solidarity, right, with people around the globe who haven't had the luxury of worshiping the way that we have and that we will soon again. And so let's just remember that as we're a little bit cold today, we can go, all right, Lord, we remember people all agreeing your name, and many of them do not have the same types of freedom and luxury that we do. And let's talk about the way that that message has spread all around the globe. So if you have your Bible, will you open with me to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew chapter 28. You know, there's something about an inspirational speech that has the ability to get into the, the, our soul and our heart and become like a seed that eventually grows and bears fruit. I think of in 1864, President Abraham Lincoln standing before our nation and giving the Gettysburg Address that reshaped the course of our history. I think of in 1962, JFK declaring that we would be the first nation to put a man on the moon, and it launched us into space exploration. I think of, as a, as a, I think a high school student, maybe a college student, watching the movie Braveheart for the very first time. Oh my goodness. I remember when, I mean, William said, um, fight and you may die, run and you will live, at least for a little while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all of the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come here and to tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. And I remember chills going down my spine and being like, Mel, I'm in. I think too of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., standing before our nation and saying, I have a dream. That one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And it helped reshape, once again, the, the course of our history as a nation. You know, as I've thought about those inspirational speeches that become seeds that give life and new life, there's a, a few common denominators that they all have. Number one, they all call people to engage a struggle. They, they call people to a battle. Uh, number two, in some way, some shape, some form, they're, they're all fighting for freedom, either for themselves or for somebody else. And then finally, 
they demand everything. You'll notice in each one of those speeches, it wasn't, oh, you could go sort of halvesies on this one. Or, no, it was like, let's be all in on this. It's calling people to give their whole self. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but Jesus gave a, a same kind of inspirational game day coach speech to his It was his calling for his disciples. And it was like a seed that got into their souls and has been subsequently passed down to you and to me. I remember we're in a series talking about what it means to be a disciple. And we said that a disciple is somebody who lives in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. They're learning to live in God's kingdom under Jesus' reign. And they have three goals that they're orienting their lives around. You remember this? Okay. The first goal is to be with Jesus. The second goal is to become like Jesus. Thank you. The third goal is to do as Jesus did. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about that third goal. It's a two-part message. This is part one, the third goal, to do as Jesus did. And I love the way that John invited his readers to really embrace this mission. He said this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. Now, I think it's a fair question for us to ask, okay, of the things that Jesus did, what should we have as our goal to do also? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. I hope you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 28. And let me give you a little bit of context before we jump into Jesus's game day inspirational coach speech to his disciples, okay? So he has just been crucified. He's been laid in the grave and he walked out with new life in his hands. The first people were two women, both named Mary. And he told the Marys, go and tell my disciples, go and tell the apostles to meet me in Galilee. We're going to have a meeting up on a hill. Listen to what he said to him. He said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So when we pick up the story, the disciples haven't seen Jesus, the risen Jesus yet. This is going to be their first encounter with the risen Christ. He's told them that he was going to die and rise again, but this is their first experience of seeing Jesus alive after seeing him dead. Jump to verse 16. That's where we pick up the story. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some, anybody have the word? Doubted. doubted. But some doubted. I've always thought that that was a, a strange passage of scripture. Until I really started to put the timeline together. See, because they hadn't seen Jesus yet. This is before Thomas has put his hands on Jesus' side and touched the scars on his. So really, they, they'd heard Jesus talk about conquering sin and death and walking out of the grave. But they were shocked to see that he had actually done it. So, if you have a hard time believing in a bodily resurrection, so did some of the first disciples. I mean, it wasn't something that was their normal part of their everyday life. And so some worshiped and some doubted. Verse 18, Jesus gives them his game day coach speech. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the age. See, this, this passage is often considered the Great Commission. It's Jesus launching his disciples out into the world to be people who live on mission. I love the way that the great scholar Christopher J.H. Wright summarized mission. He said this, mission is participation in the life of God. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And Jesus here is saying, here's my mission. My mission is to make disciples. So if you put those two ideas together, we participate in the life of God as we make disciples. That's a beautiful invitation, friends. In fact, I would invite you to write this down as if you're taking notes today. We are called to participate in God's mission by making disciples. That's how we participate with what God is up to in the world. And I just want to sort of impart to us as a body that if we as a church and we as individuals long for God's blessing, which my guess is you do, we long to walk in his way with his heart, then we need to care about the things that God cares about. And here's what God cares about. People. People. I mean, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He said, listen, I didn't come for the sick. I came for people who know they need a savior. And as a church and as individuals, our call is to be about the same things that God is about. And God longs to bring hope. And he longs to bring healing. And he longs to bring shalom to his world. And the way he's designed for that to be a reality is by the sending of his disciples. Said succinctly, disciples making other disciples is Jesus's methodology for finishing what he started. It's Jesus's methodology for finishing what he started. Now, let me clear up something really quickly. We've talked about this a little bit in our series, but when we use the word disciple here and now in 2021, oftentimes we think about being disciples of Jesus. That, that term, however, is, is just a generic term. It's a term that means a learner or, or an apprentice. And in reality, you guys, we're all being discipled. We're all being discipled by someone or something. We're being formed by someone or something. We're learning a way to go about life. And that's simply discipleship. The question isn't, are you being discipled? It's, are you being discipled to become more like Jesus? That's the question. And I read this article in the New York Times this week. It is entitled, The Empty Religions of Instagram. It's by a columnist named Lee Nash, and she wrote about the way that Instagram influencers are sort of the new pseudo-religious gurus of our day. And here's what she wrote. I found this fascinating. She said, I find myself craving role models or disciplers my age who are not only religious crusaders, but also humble and merciful. And I'm not finding them online. She also refers to influencers who have filled the void of faith left for people like her. And she said this about these religious influencers on Instagram. She said, they might inspire you to live your best life, but they don't inspire you to make the best of your life. And I thought, what a poignant statement. See, I think Lee Stein and others like her are longing for a bigger story. 
They're longing to, to give themselves fully to something that matters, something that's bigger than them, something that's bigger than just their life, to be part of a, of a story as big as creation itself. See, in so many ways, Lee Stein and others like her are looking for and this passage is all about how Jesus intends to seek out people like her and people that you know as well. See, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the Great Commission today by talking about three things. I want to talk about Jesus' plan. I want to talk about the process. And then I want to talk about the power. And yes, those three, three things all start with P. <laughs> Praise be to God. Okay? So first, let's talk about the plan. Let's talk about the plan. And I'd invite you to write this down if you're taking notes. Here's the plan in one word. You. You are the plan. In fact, if you're taking notes, just write down me. You are the plan. You are God's plan to make other disciples who bring hope and healing and peace to his world. In the same way that Jesus called his disciples up on that mountaintop in Galilee a few thousand years ago, he's gathered you into this courtyard today to commission you, to give you a mission to live for that's bigger than just your life. And if it shocks you, I just want to show you that God has always chosen to move his mission forward through people. I believe who he created and placed in the garden and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, cultivate my earth, move the mission forward. I think of Abraham, who he called out and then sent to go be a blessing to other people. I think of Moses, who he met in the desert, and he called to be a conduit of his mission. In fact, that calling of Moses is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Listen to it with me. It's Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. It says, And then Yahweh, or the Lord, said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Behold, now I have heard the cry of the people of Israel. It's come to me and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. I mean, if you're Moses at this point, you're going... Finally, yes, Yahweh, you have seen, you have heard, you, Moses, you're fist pumping at this point, aren't you? Good. And then listen to the next verse, verse 10. God says to Moses, come and I will send you to the Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, if we're Moses at this point, aren't we going quick time out? Just wondering what all that me, 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 you, you, you business was, right? Like, I thought you were going to move. I thought you were going to do it. I thought it was your work and your power. And Yahweh looks back at Moses and goes, I am, and I'm going to do it through you. And I'm going to do it through you. God's methodology, friends, has not changed. He's always chosen to use broken, inadequate people for the glory of his name. To quote the Apostle Paul, he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So if you feel inadequate, if you feel ill-equipped, if you feel ill-prepared, if you're a little bit nervous, a little bit scared, a little bit fearful, perfect. God says, welcome. 
you are my plan A. And he says, and I don't have a plan B. I don't have a plan B. See, there is no such thing as a disciple who's not called to make other disciples. That category of people does not exist. We are a missionary people. We are the way, friends. You are the way that God wants to bring hope and healing and renewal to your home, to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to this region, to our nation, and all throughout the globe. You are God's methodology. And there's nobody that that doesn't apply to. That's God's plan. Second, let's look at God's process. Verse 19. Listen to the game day speech of Jesus again. He says, go, therefore, disciples of all nations. Now, it's a little bit confusing in the English translation of what's going on here. It makes it seem like go is a command. But go in the Greek is actually not a command. In the original language, there's only one command in the Great Commission. Anybody know what it is? Make disciples. That's the only command. So go is actually a participle, which means that it might be more accurately translated, going, make disciples. Or as you go, make disciples. Or wherever you go, make disciples. Whether it's to teach online whether it's to work as a business person, whether it's to go across the globe as a missionary, wherever you go, make disciples. And I think it's, it's sad and potentially even devastating that the Great Commission has been relegated to be only for missionaries. No, 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 no. We are all a sent people. Now, certainly, there are some who will go to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus talked about in Acts chapter one. Praise be to God for that. We need people who will go and are going there. But you're going somewhere. Jesus is inviting you to be a disciple maker wherever you go. Will you write that down? The first part of his process is is going, is going. And it's not a call to go somewhere else. It's actually a call to redeem your everyday going. It's a commission that's as applicable in Escondido as it is in Estonia. And sometimes it's easier to think about going somewhere else than it is to actually put into practice the going and the making of disciples in your life right now. Let me tell you why I think this is beautiful news. It means that you don't have to become a missionary and it means you don't have to become a pastor in order to know you are part of Jesus's mission. You are part of it right where you are, exactly where you are. The question is not, where are you going to go? The question is, what are you gonna do as you go wherever you go? That's the question. Here's the second implication. The second implication is that as followers of Jesus, we are on the offense. Because we're taking the message where people, hey, come to us. Come to us. We're, we're, we're on the offense and we are taking this message wherever we go. That's part one of the process. Part two, Jesus says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Part one of the process is going. Part two is baptizing. Would you write that down? 
baptizing. It was a way in the first century where people would say, it's still the same today, um, I'm with Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. It was a, akin to sort of putting on his jersey that said Jesus right here to say, I'm following him as my rabbi and I'm bowing to him as my Lord and my Savior. But when Jesus talks about baptizing in the Great Commission, I think he also has in mind what precedes baptism, which is a call to faith. Uh, we might call it evangelism. It's calling people to put their faith, to put their hope, to put their trust in Jesus, to repent of sin, to turn to him, to declare that he's Lord, and to surrender their whole life to Jesus. That's also implied within calling people to baptism. They first need to be called to faith. And the way that Jesus imagines that happening is by sending you. <laughs> sending you into your job. Sending you across the street. Sending you maybe across the globe. Who knows? But he imagined that that happens as he sends us as a body of believers together. See, when people were baptized, there were three things. Number one, it was a new allegiance. They were saying, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my rabbi. I want to follow your way and live with your heart. Number two, there was a new way of living, a new way of life. They were saying, I'm not the same person I used to be. I love the way that Paul summarized this in Romans chapter 6 when he wrote this. He said, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's this picture of, I was dead in my trespasses and sins and I was raised to walk in new life. I'm a new person. And then finally, a new allegiance, a new way of living and a new family. And the name of that family is the church. The church. It was a way of people saying, I am part of the family of God. So we're going and we're calling people to faith in Jesus, inviting them to trust Jesus as Lord, as Savior, to repent of sin, to turn to him for forgiveness, to say, you've got my whole life, God. I'm yours. Baptizing. Verse 20. So going, baptizing, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's the third part of the process. The third part of the process is what? Teaching. It's teaching. Now, let me point out to you. Because for a long time, when I read the Great Commission, I read, go, baptize, and tell people to obey. Tell people to follow the way of Jesus. But notice that that isn't at all what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and what? Teach. And teaching and telling are two very different things, are they not? You can tell people from a street corner. It's really hard to teach people from there. See, telling typically has in mind the end goal, and it doesn't really walk with people in between where they're at and that end goal. But teaching is way different. Telling is saying to somebody, hey, sit down at the piano and play that Beethoven sonata we talked about. Do it. It's what Jesus wants you to do. Do it. But teaching is really different, isn't it? Sitting down next to them and saying, no, 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 not like that. Like this. I've had this great example of this. And my wife, who's a high school English teacher at Del Norte High School, she's been an English teacher for 16 years. And I've seen her teaching online, teaching her students online. 
And it's just been beautiful to watch. Because when she assigns an essay and then she gets back 120 essays, I've seen her read every one of them. And I see her give input. And I I see her telling her students, no, that's not where the comma goes. She tells her students and her husband, that's not where that comma goes. Actually, there, yeah, okay. But she's walking with them, right? She's helping them grow. She's helping them get better. She assumes that the sophomores in her English class don't know everything that they need to know, which is why they're in the class, right? So she's not telling them. She's walking with them and she's teaching. Okay, friends, what if, what if, what if we had in our minds as we discipled people into the way of Jesus. What if we understood they're not exactly where God wants them to be yet? This is a journey, and he's entrusted us with the beautiful invitation to walk with them and to teach them, tell them, but to form relationships, to spend time, to extend grace, and to help them through the scenes. And that's the invitation that God is giving you today that Jesus gave to his disciples a few thousand years ago. Now, if you're a teacher, my guess is you're thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, Ryan, that's, that's, that's all good, teaching, not telling. What's the curriculum? What's the curriculum? Well, I'm so glad you teachers asked that, okay? Because here's what Jesus said. He gave us a succinct version of his curriculum. He said, to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, some other translations, instead of using the word observe, they use the word obey. I like that a lot better. That actually captures what's going on in the original language a, a little bit better because in the, in the English, observe tends to have the connotation that we can watch from a distance and sort of see it happen. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's inviting people to obey what he's taught. So, where do we start with teaching people to obey? Well, Let's just establish some ground rules here. As a church, we love the scriptures. Amen? We hold the scriptures really, really high. I believe that in order to become disciples, people really story of God. To be literate in the scriptures. To understand what the mission of God is from Genesis all the way through Revelation. I think all of that's really, really good. But please note, that's not what Jesus said we should teach when we seek to make disciples. He didn't say, go and teach people the Bible. And if you have a problem with that, you actually have a problem with Jesus, not with me. Because he said, go and teach people to what? Obey what I've commanded you. That was his launching point. Now, okay, Luke chapter 24, verse 27 says that all the scriptures point to him. So I argue you can do that in any text of scripture. That's a beautiful thing about the scriptures, is they all point to one place. His name is Jesus, okay? But if our goal is to teach people to obey all that Jesus commanded, I would suggest to you that there is a great starting point for our curriculum. Because Jesus was once cornered by some lawyers, and they said to him, all right, Rabbi, tell us what the greatest commandment is. Out of the 613 in the old covenant, what, what's, the, what's the greatest commandment? Which stands above them all? Anybody remember what he said? Here's what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This 
is the great and first commandment. Heaven, it was called the Shema. And he said, and since I've got the microphone, let me give you a second also, okay? The second is like it. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So if we want to teach people how to obey what Jesus commanded, let's start there. Let's start with calling people to love God with their mind, their soul, their strength, with their whole being, to bow in adoration to him, to give reverence, to give glory back to God, the creator of it all, to surrender their entire life to his affection, to fear him as the one who spoke everything into existence, to love him as the one who gave everything so that they might be, we might be, Redeemed, redeemed, that we might call people to really genuinely, truly love God with their whole being. And then secondly, to love the people around us. I love the way that Jesus, after he was asked that commandment, later on would say, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you too must love one another. I can. If we don't teach people to love, we do not teach people to become disciples of Jesus. It's impossible to become a disciple of Jesus without becoming a person of love. In fact, I would argue that becoming a person of agape or love is the goal of the Christian life, to be shaped and formed by the love of God and then to be the kind of person who extends it to those around us. If you're going, well, Ryan, what else is there? What, what, like, once we nail that, <laughs> where do we go from there? And, and I would say it's all, it's all application of that command, really. But why don't you start in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Start there and teach people to obey what Jesus commanded there. And then just start to branch out, asking the question, what has Jesus commanded? What does the life of Jesus look like? Friends, Jesus is the curriculum. His life is the curriculum. That's what we're inviting people to follow. And he's who we're inviting people to obey. And if you're going, Ryan, I, I get it. The plan is me. The process is, all right, as I'm going, I'm calling people to faith in Jesus and baptizing and teaching them to obey what Jesus commands. I get it, but I just don't feel like I can do that. Anybody there? I'm there a lot of days, okay? Let's just wait for that helicopter to pass by. <laughs> feel like I'm up. I'm there a lot of days too. So if you're there going, I get it. I just don't know if I can do it. Listen to what Jesus said towards the end of his game day speech. Here's what he said. Verse 18, he claimed that all authority, all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And he said, verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has all power. And please hear me on this. Even just, will you just look up at me for just a moment? Jesus has all power and you have Jesus' presence living in you right now. So power, if you want to write this down, is presence. Later on, Jesus would say to his disciples, I will give you, but you will receive, the, uh, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. You know what's really interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, you will receive power and then you will go witness. He, no, 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 it's different. He says, you will become witnesses. Change from the inside out as if to say, wherever you're going, this is who you are as you go. Friends, the Holy Spirit, certainly he is an advocate. He is a comforter. He is a teacher. He is a helper. But please don't miss the reality that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live out the mission that God has given you. And if it seems hard to experience God's presence in your life, may I invite you to step into God's mission to make disciples. And then, and then, ask yourself the question, do I sense God's presence and God's power in this as I seek to live out God's mission? You know, God has over the course of the last few thousand years, in many ways, shaped the course of history through disciples who make disciples. I think of one Chinese pastor, his name is Ying Kai, amazing disciple maker. I mean, unbelievable the way that God has used him. And this is in 2013, some of the statistics from his ministry that came out. They saw 1.7 million people baptized through Ying Kai's ministry. They were seeing at one point 2,000 house churches planted every single month through his ministry. 140,000 churches planted through one guy's faithfulness to say, God, if if this is your method and, and this is your plan and this is your process, I'll follow it and I'll trust that you will do great things. Ying Kai, it'll blow your mind. But it's happening here. amongst us as well. I met with one just faithful saint and member of Emmanuel Faith a number of weeks ago. His name's Stan Nolte. And his methodology is simply to invite people to read through the book of John with him. So he just meets with them and they read through the book of John and here's what he does. He said, "I I just let the scriptures and the spirit do the heavy lifting. So we meet and we talk about it and I ask questions and I teach and point people to Jesus, and I, and I pray, but God does his work. And he looked at me and he said, Ryan, I've seen God do amazing things just through opening the Bible with him. I tell you all of that to say, you can do this. This isn't for somebody else. This is for you. And I want you to write that down. Through God's plan, through God's process, and with his power, make disciples. In fact, Jesus would say this to us this morning, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, he said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I'm gonna unashamedly ask you to do things before we close, okay? Here's the first. I wanna simply ask you, what's your response to Jesus's mission? He's inviting you And let me just challenge you this morning. I don't know is a no for now. We can be honest about that, right? If you go, God, I don't know. I don't know if I'm in. It's actually just a no for now. And you need more time to process? Okay, just name that. But I think we all have either a yes or a no that we have to say back to Jesus. I'm in, I'm with you, 
or not right now or no. That's number one. Where are you at with this? Where are you at? Number two, if your answer is yes, would you just pray right now for God to bring to mind one name, one person for you to send to some sort of disciple-making relationship with? It might be one of your kids. It might be a grandkid. It might be a neighbor. It might be somebody in your family. Would you just pray, God, would you bring to mind one name, one person right now? Number three, would you commit to stepping out, having a risky conversation, asking them if they want to get together and read the scriptures with you, asking them if they want to learn from you and with you what it looks like to be and to become a disciple. Like I said, this isn't for somebody else. This is for all of us. And then finally, I want you to write down a website. Here's what it is. EFCC.org, you may have heard that before, (laughs) slash disciple, slash disciple. And there's a few things that you'll find there. Number one, you'll find a really easy methodology for meeting with people. We want to make it simple and accessible for you to go there today and to start this afternoon. You can do this. But number two, there's also a short little form for you to tell our team, I'm in. Because here's the thing, we, we believe that God wants us to go all in on this. We believe that we are a, on a journey together as a body and that Jesus is inviting us to move forward. So as a team, we want to follow up with you. We want to encourage you. We want to figure out what type of resources you need that you don't have so that we can walk with you as you seek to become a disciple who makes disciples. So remember, as you have this all in your mind, one, who's the one person that you're gonna reach out to or the group of people you're gonna reach out to. Two, go to efcc.org slash disciple. Three, if you're going, gosh, Paulson, I just, I wanna be in, but I feel like I need a little bit more training. We've got you covered also in two weeks, two weeks from today, making training course that you can sign up for on that same webpage. I'd invite you to go there. All right. Lastly. You know, when we send missionaries, we often bring them up front and we lay hands on them and we commission them to go. And that's a really, really beautiful thing. But I'd often wondered, like, why don't we do the same thing for electricians who are followers of Jesus? And business people who are followers, and teachers who are followers of Jesus, and nurses who are followers of Jesus, and doctors who are followers. Like, we need to commission them too. And so here's where I want to end our time today. If you're, and, and no shame if you're not there, Okay. No shame if you're not there. Let's make this genuine. I don't want to have some sort of emotional appeal. I'm not into that in the least. But if you're saying, yep, Ryan, I'm in. I want to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever I go as I go. And I've got a person or people in mind I'm going to reach out to. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm in. I just want to commission you. So I I want you to stand up right now, just wherever you are. No guilt if you don't stand. But if that's you, I just want you to stand up. And I want you to open your hands like this just to receive, because I want to pray blessing over you, and I want to ask that God would empower you and move through you in your going. So Lord, thank you for each one of these people who are standing, and for those sitting also, God. But I pray specifically and commission these folks who are standing saying, God, I want to be that kind of disciple, the kind of disciple who makes disciples. Lord, may they sense your power in their life, 
as they seek to reach out to people around them, to invite them into disciple-making relationships. Oh God, I pray that you would give them favor, but I also pray that you wouldn't help them, that you'd help them not be discouraged, that they'd be reminded that it's their faithfulness, but you're the one who determines the fruitfulness. And Father, I pray you would use us to glorify your name, to lead people who are far from God to a loving Father, to lead people to Jesus who gave his life for us, that we might be a people formed and shaped by your Spirit's movement among us. So, Lord, I pray your commissioning over these folks. May they go in the grace and peace and power of your Spirit. If you're not standing, I'd invite you to stand now. Let's close our time in prayer. God, thank you for the chance to gather in music, in prayer, in song, around your scriptures. We love you so much. And we are so grateful that you are a missionary God. That you long to see the prodigals come home. That you long to see the lost found. That you long to see people who are far from God brought into your fold to receive you as their Lord, as their shepherd, as their teacher. And Father, our prayer would be as a church body, would you use us to that end? Make yourself great, please, in through us, for the glory of your name and for our joy as we walk with you. It's in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.